great. All right, John chapter number 7. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word, John 7, verse 14. Did you want to share something? Yes, thank you, Brother John. We are also going to be doing the Soul Winners Club in Spanish this time around. Brother John will be teaching that. And so if you're interested in taking it in Spanish, uh, we're not going to teach you how to lead someone to the Lord in Spanish. You need to know how to speak Spanish when you show up, all right? Uh, but uh, if you are a Spanish speaker, Brother John will be walking through the same material there. John 7, uh, verse 14 through verse 19 will be our initial reading, and we'll be looking at several verses throughout the chapter this evening. The Bible says, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that uh, sent me, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why do you go about to kill me? Here Jesus is engaging yet one more group of people, and tonight we'll talk about how to engage the scorners, the scorners, engaging the scorners. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the Bible we ask tonight that you would help us to settle in. May our minds grasp the concepts that are laid out tonight, and Lord, help us to know how to handle someone who is hostile against our faith. I do believe that the worse the world gets, the more hostile people will become Yet we need to even witness to them. Lord God, guide us tonight and show us from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, so far we have seen how Jesus engaged all sorts of people from different backgrounds and lifestyles with the gospel. Some sought him out due to his, up, uh, due to his reputations. Other, others he sought out. Some came for him. Others, he went out of his way to meet them. One of those, of those that he sought out, some were searching for the truth, but didn't know where to turn. And then there were others that he engaged that simply wanted to continue in their own false belief system. So, quickly to review, if you look at John chapter 3, we see Jesus engaging the scholar. And what was the result? Nicodemus was born again, born again. You'll see here the metaphor Jesus used, I'll, I'll use uh, as well. In John chapter 4, Jesus engages the sinner, engaged the sinner. And what happened? Well, the woman, she drank of the living water and was saved. In John 5, Jesus engaged the sick man and the impotent man was made Whole. Uh, last week we saw in John chapter 6 how Jesus engaged the skeptics and the crowd rejected the bread of life and would not eat and drink of the bread of, of life. In John chapter 7 we find the Pharisees. We will see throughout our sermon this evening that these Pharisees were scorners. Scorners. These men loved attention. And accolades, but their religion was phony and in vain. They had duped the crowds. They had fooled the crowds. But Jesus knew exactly who they were. 
Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees was, in a word, adversarial. Quite adversarial. Uh, he was hostile toward these scorners because they were pretending to represent his father, but what they were really doing was leading the lost sheep of Israel astray. They were taking the lost sheep of Israel as the religious leaders and leading them blindly right into ditches. They were not doing what they were supposed to do, and they were, in fact, doing the opposite of what they were supposed to do. And this is why Jesus had become so hostile toward them. So, how about you? Do you know any scorners? Do you know any scorners? Are there, is there anyone in your life who's just hostile toward your faith? Anyone who uh, is uh, belittling of your faith? Now listen, scorners can be religious, and scorners can also be non-religious. I think of a child who goes to a school where it is not popular to love God, and they take a stand to love God, and it doesn't matter if it's a public school or a Christian school, it can happen in all the same, and um, uh, probably a little more hostile in a public school, but I faced hostility in a Christian school, and you go in and you want to fervently love the Lord, and there are those who are scornful toward you, they belittle you, they mock you, and then you have others who claim to be saved, but as you try to pursue a more dedicated relationship with the Lord, and you really want to take that thing up a notch, they scorn, they mock, they belittle, they put down. Well, I put down some types of scorners that uh, you find in the everyday world here. How about that guy at work who curses in front of you and takes God's name in vain a little extra because he knows that you're a Christian? You ever had to deal with that before? Boy, I sure did when I worked in the workplace. It just seemed like when I wasn't around, maybe it was a little less. And then when I showed up, he, he, he just seemed to blaspheme a little bit more. How about that relative who wants to argue with you about your faith every time he or she sees you? Every single time uh, that person sees you, it, it's, it's a hostility toward your faith. They're doing it to see if they can get you worked up. They're doing it to get you uh, upset. Uh, they're, they're doing it to be scornful. How about that neighbor who has made up his mind that you are the enemy because you go to church and, uh, and live differently than he does? Some, sometimes scorners are non-religious. Sometimes scorners are religious. And I want to say before we move on this evening that if you don't know any scorners, you need to branch out a little bit more and live life a little bit more, all right? Uh, you, need to, uh, you, you need to get out of your little Christian bubble, and you need to get out to where you actually know some scorners. Who here has scorners either at work or at, uh, within the extended family or in your neighborhood? Would you raise your hand? You know some people who are scornful toward you. How do you handle them? How do you handle it? They need the gospel, don't they? Even if they're hostile toward it, do they not need the gospel? Well, tonight we're going to look at how Jesus handled scorners, all right? We'll look exactly at what Jesus did. We'll see just how we can handle people who are adversarial to the good news of Jesus Christ and our lifestyle. I said this morning in the sermon at 1030, I talked about how that um, we... Uh, we're getting into a, a day and hour where it is getting very dark in this world and more and more people are growing hostile toward our faith. Listen, a lot of us want to try to ride the fence and appease the world 
and please the Lord? Listen to me. You can't please the Lord and appease the world. It's not possible. You're either going to please the Lord or you're going to please the world. You can't have it both ways. And as you stand for what's right, there's going to be people who just don't like you very much. There's going to be people who belittle you and there may even one day be people who decide to persecute you. What will you do in those moments? How do you handle someone who is adversarial toward your faith? So let's look at four thoughts this evening out of John 7 and other chapters in the New Testament and talk about how to engage the scorner. Number one, and we're going to get into how Jesus handled the scorner a little bit later in the sermon. Let's lay some groundwork here. Number one, notice the characteristics of a scorner. The characteristics of a scorner. Um, I want to read for you Isaiah 28. 14 and 15, because these verses uh, define or describe a scorner in great detail. You're welcome to join me there if you'd like. If not, I'll just read Isaiah 28, 14 and 15. Listen carefully. It says, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. So all the way back in Isaiah's day, the religious leaders of the temple were scorners who led the people. Listen to 15. Because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. We can do, we can live however we want, and when the scourge comes through, when the punishment comes through, we'll be able to sidestep that punishment and avoid it. Verse 15 continues, For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. So I took Isaiah 28, 14 and 15, and the descriptors of a scorner, and I found passages in Jesus' day, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that show the Pharisees and the scribes participating in every one of these characteristics of a scorner. So let's take them one at a time. Notice letter A, they desire authority. They desire authority. Notice back in 14 it says, uh, Ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Scorners desire authority. Look with me at Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 2. Matthew 23, and I would put a marker in Matthew 23, because we're going to be back over there a few times throughout the message this evening. Jesus here is getting ready to just absolutely tongue lash the Pharisees. He begins by speaking to the crowd in the beginning of the chapter, and then he turns and speaks to the Pharisees directly a little bit later. Look at verse 2, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees, where do they sit? They sit in Moses' seat. They want that utmost position of authority. And remember, Isaiah 28, 14 told us that scorners, they want to rule the people. They want to be in a position of authority. Look down at verse number 6 and 7. They love the uppermost room at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men... Rabbi, Rabbi. So a scorner desires authority. They want to be in charge. They want that influence amongst people as they seek to lead them astray. So they desire authority. Letter B, they are bound by a covenant. They are bound by a covenant. Back in Isaiah 28, verse 15, it says, Because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death. Turn over to John chapter number 7. 
And let's look at a covenant here um, that the uh, Pharisees have made. Actually, I'm going to have you go to Matthew 26. Go back over to Matthew 26 and look at verse 14. Uh, uh, John 7:25 says, Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? Whom they seek to kill? Uh, the Pharisees were in league with each other. And listen, the Pharisees were a network that expanded all over the nation of Israel. And they were in league with each other to kill Jesus, catch Him and kill Him. And in John chapter 7, where we began tonight, uh, this is very early on in Jesus' ministry, yet they've already made a covenant to kill Him. They just didn't know how to accomplish that. Matthew 26, look at verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest and said unto them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. They made a covenant with death. They made a covenant with Judas to buy Jesus so they could kill him. What are the attributes of a scorner? And by the way, as someone who works with uh, from a position of authority, uh, I know this, that these same characteristics of a scorner are true across the board and, and are just a part of the code of being a scorner. You can look across any school uh, of any size whatsoever and you can find scorners within a school and they all desire to have Authority. They muscle their way up the pecking order to be in charge. They'll dupe someone who is in charge in order to be given some uh, position of authority amongst their peers. And they have, they, they are bound by a covenant. They live life on the edge, constantly looking and pushing people toward death and wrongdoing. Let her see notice. They take pleasure in darkness. They take pleasure in darkness. Back in uh, Isaiah 28, uh, verse number 15, it says, And with hell are we in agreement. Uh, When the overflowing scourge shall pass, it shall not come upon us, for we have made lies our refuge. Uh, They they take pleasure in darkness. Look at John chapter 3. John 7 is where we began. Turn back to John 3 and look at verse number 19. It says, And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds shall be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And and here Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, There are those who love evil, they love darkness, because darkness provides a cover for their behavior. Consider Matthew chapter 15 and verse 12. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest that the, that, uh, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? Have you ever said something that you believe deep down in your heart and someone in your circle, whether it was a coworker or a neighbor or a relative or a friend, they just took great offense to that. They were offended at your stand for what was right. That's exactly where the Pharisees were. Jesus had spoke a parable. They saw through the parable. They figured he was talking about them and they were offended at this saying. Look at 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. 
And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. He said this about these scorners. He said, they're walking in darkness. Henceforth, they are blind. And they're leading people straight into a ditch. They take pleasure in darkness. Letter D, they have a false sense of security. They have a false sense of security. Again, Isaiah twenty-eight fifteen. when the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. Turn to Matthew 27 and look at verse number 39. They have a false sense of security. These Pharisees really were the um, the, the manifestation of Isaiah's prophecy or what Isaiah described back in chapter 28. Um, they think they can live however they want and they'll just get away with it. Look how bold and look how uh, brash these Pharisees are in, uh, at, while Jesus is on the cross, 39. And they, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying... Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. They're taunting him. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him. Talking about being a scorner. With the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Now, verse 43, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Do you think for a minute if Jesus had actually come down off the cross, that the Pharisees would have started believing? I don't think they would have. I think he, that was just a taunt, a complete taunt. They're taunting Jesus. They're, 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 they're saying to him, ha ha, you're up there on the cross. We win, you lose, you're dying. And, and they have this false sense of security that we can behave however we want and there will be no punishment of us whatsoever. And scorners think they can just do whatever they want, live however they want, behave however they want, and they'll somehow always sidestep Authority. For example, the scorner says, I know there's cancer label warning, cancer, cancer warnings on the labels of cigarettes, but I can smoke and I won't get cancer. And I know that alcoholism leads to cirrhosis of the liver, but not me. I won't get sick. I won't uh, face that. I won't do with that, deal with that. And, and I know the Bible says that uh, I'm supposed to be morally pure in both my thought life and in my behavior, but I don't really have to do that. I'll find a way to sidestep the consequences, not me. And uh, my friend, let's not forget, let God be true and every man a liar. And uh, be sure your sin will find you out. And God knows all, sees all. You can't, you can't sidestep His punishment. Someone said it this way, you can choose your sin, but you do not get to choose the consequences of your sin. You can choose your sin. You do not get to choose the consequences of your sin. You cannot sidestep the scourge. Letter E, they are liars. They are liars. Turn over to John chapter 8. You're in 7. Here Jesus is still addressing the scorners in John 8. In fact, the scorner uh, back and forth with Jesus and the scorners continues all the way through the book of John and leads to his death. Look at chapter 8, verse 44. He says, Ye, speaking of these scorners, are of your father, the devil. Well, that's not going to win you very many friends. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer 
from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. He says the devil is a liar and he is your father. He just called them out hard. He said you are a liar. You walk in lies and deceit and mistruth. You're working things behind the back of authority, ultimately God, and um, you are a liar. So I just, before we get into how to handle a scorner, engaging a scorner, I want everyone to understand that when God talks about scorners in Isaiah 28, 14, and 15, and then we look at who Jesus is addressing in John chapter 7, I want us to understand these are the characteristics Characteristics of a scorner. And by the way, you can't woo a scorner to truth. You can't win a scorner to truth. Once a young person or even an adult has given their heart over to being a scorner, unfortunately, you must be very firm with them and you must punish them. Uh, you must uh, be harsh with them. And only when they're broken in their misery will they give up their scornful ways and come back to truth. In fact, sometimes you have adults who are scorners and no matter how hard life hits them in the mouth, they still refuse to leave the stubbornness of their scorning. The characteristics of a scorner, number two, notice the criticism of the scorner. The criticism of the scorner. You're in John 8. Look down at verse number 48. John 8, verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil. First, hold on a second here. First and 48, they accused Jesus of being a Samaritan. He's not a Samaritan, all right? And that was a racially laced statement. Samaritans were looked down upon. And they say to Jesus, they say, you are a Samaritan and you have a devil. You are, you are possessed with an evil spirit. And, and so uh, these scorners, I mean, they're, they're coming at Jesus' heart. 49, Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but... I honor my Father, and ye do dishonor me, and I seek not mine own glory. There, there is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, uh, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, I am a man. Keep, uh, if a man, rather, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death. And so there's this back and forth where they're accusing the God of the universe manifested in the flesh, the Word from eternal past, who born into the earth, the Son of God, who is dwelling among them, God in the flesh, uh, dwelling among them. They're accusing Him of being a devil. And I would read for you Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, about the criticism of His corner. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Here, they are looking at good in the flesh and they're calling Him evil. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. They have truth, life, light, the gospel, uh, uh, God in the flesh in front of them and they say, that man is the devil. Now, when... Um, when you consider a scorner, they're going to do what I'll, I'll use a term that has 
become popular over the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. They're going to do this thing called gaslighting. Everybody here familiar with what it means to gaslight someone? All right. And uh, for those of you that are not, maybe you've heard the term, but you're not really quite sure what it means. Let me see if I can help you understand what gaslighting is. All right. It's the idea that someone else can totally mistreat you or be in the wrong, and they will still find a way to turn it around and make you out to be the bad guy. All right? You out to be the bad guy, right? Once I helped someone who was just in dire straits, I, I really helped scrape them off the payment of life and try to help them get back on their feet and get going in the right direction. And, and uh, after this person had made a lot of progress, they just fell flat back on their face. And somehow... As we parted ways, that individual made me feel like it was all my fault. That is gaslighting. That is gaslighting. Um, narcissists are great gaslighters. They just are. You know, their creed is, um, uh, I didn't do anything wrong. And, and if I did, it wasn't my fault. And uh, if, it wasn't, if it was my fault, really, it was your fault because you, you, you made me do it. And... Um, you know, it's not a big deal, and if it is a big deal, it's, it's your fault, and, and, and they just are shifty, right? They're shifty, and a, 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 someone who's gaslighting, a scorner who's gaslighting, you can be doing all of the right things, and yet they still paint you out to be evil. Turn over to John 15. John 15. We live in a culture where people who stand on biblical principles are being turned into the evil ones in society. Uh, listen, if you just want to take a stand on traditional marriage, you look down upon a society as being, let's see, um, uh, homophobic and um, closed-minded and um, uh, you're, you're hateful and you're spiteful. If you make the statement that uh, there is a man and there is a woman and uh, there is nothing in the middle, you're either born a male or a Female, and that was not controversial for the first 6,000 years of human history, six to 10,000 years of human history. All of a sudden now you make that statement, oh man, you're, you're a hate, you're a hater, and, 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 and you, you're a bigot, and, and all these terms for just making statements about that which is obvious. And, uh, listen, uh, the louder your voice gets in the culture making this, these statements, the harder they come after you, and, uh, they, they will, they, there are no rules in their fight. They will go as far as necessary in order to punish you and shut you down, and this is scornful, scornful, behavior. Now, uh, listen, I want to say before we read the passage in John 15 that uh, to, let's see, to be to be persecuted and called names and put down because you stand on the scripture and what you believe, that is a practice that is to be expected in the Christian life. You ought to at some point in your Christian life be persecuted. That is... That is part of being a Christian. Now, I believe there was a day and time in our country where it would have been quite hard to be truly persecuted for your faith. It just would have been. America had enough of a Christian base and a Christian sympathy and, and, and Judeo-Christian ethics underneath our feet where you could be as fervent for Jesus in the workplace as possible. You probably still weren't getting fired. Boy, try that today and see where that gets you. 
Try taking your Bible into the break room and, and, and evangelizing and, as they call it, proselytizing and, and see how if, if you're not uh, talked to by HR and eventually just let go. And you, you run the risk of being fired over your stand for Christ. Now, I want to be clear. If your workplace has rules and you sign on the dotted line to take the job, then don't violate the rules. Amen? Let's not be persecuted unnecessarily. Let's not be um, a jerk, right? Uh, Romans 12 says, let not your good be evil spoken of. We need to do right the right way. But we live in a day and time where doing right the right way still very well may lend to you being persecuted. Look at John 15 and look at verse 18. Jesus tells his disciples, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Underline that. They will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. Hey, if they went after what I have said, they're going to come after what you have said. And we know that in the last uh, weeks of Jesus' life, they sent all kinds of people Jesus' way. Lawyers and Herodians and, and, and Pharisees and Sadducees to try to entangle Jesus in His words. And, and listen, if they did that to Jesus, you sure better believe that if you're outspoken about your faith... They're going to try to do it to you as well. They will criticize. They will put down. They will belittle. They will gaslight. That is just part of uh, how this works. The characteristics of a scorner. The criticism of a scorner. Number three, notice the chastisement of a scorner. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 23 for me. Turn over to Matthew 23 and look with me at verse number 13. Matthew 23, 13. The Bible says, here Jesus is chastising, verbally tongue-lashing the Pharisees. He says, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Jesus publicly rebuked the Pharisees. You may remember very early on in Jesus' ministry, we looked at John 2 uh, toward uh, the beginning of the year. He turned over the money changers. He ran the livestock out of the temple courtyard. He asks those selling uh, the, the doves to leave. He was constantly sparring verbally with them. But here in Matthew 23, he holds nothing back. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them snakes and vipers. He calls them whited sepulchers, beautifully, beautiful outwardly and full of uncleanness and dead men's bones. They, they sought to disqualify Jesus and then kill Jesus and Jesus sought to expose them as wicked and phony. And so this back and forth of Jesus going at the Pharisees and the Pharisees going at Jesus and Jesus was a man. He did, he had a backbone about him. He was not going to back down. He was going to stand his ground and he was going to do what was right. And let me just say that it's not just men who want to stand their ground. Christians need to get a backbone in our culture today and they need to stand up for what they believe and state what they believe and let the chips fall where they may. 
Again, we're not going to be rude and we're not going to be mean and we're not going to be nasty, but we're also not going to back down from where we stand and what we believe. Evil exists in the world because too many good people are too silent. What if all of the Christians in America who really believe the Word of God would stand up and state the truth? Let me say tonight that if you do not have authority over someone, you are limited on how much you could say or even how much you should say. Uh, You have to understand there are some things you can control and there are some things that you can influence and there are some things that you cannot control or influence. And what I see with a lot of folks today is that they try to influence that which they uh, have, uh, that which they can't, and and they try to control that which they should influence, and then they try to influence that which they can control. And we got it all backwards. And you need to know what's in that inner circle there that uh, you control, and you need to work to control that. And when scorners get in that circle that you control, you should smite them and you should punish them, as the Bible declares. But don't you try to smite a scorner that's in your circle of influence. You influence them and you stand for what's right. Consider Proverbs chapter 19 verse 25. Smite a scorner and the simple will beware and reprove one that hath understanding and he will understand knowledge. Why did Jesus smite the Pharisees with his words? Because he was God and he had the authority to do so. He was God and he had a right to smite them down with his language. Notice number four, and lastly, notice the call to the confused. The call to the confused. Yet Jesus knew that among the ranks of the Pharisees, there were those who would come to salvation. And so Jesus publicly declared truth in the temple of God and to everyone who would listen. He had a special message laced with salvation for these scorners. Again... Jesus is speaking to the scorners in John 7, yet he speaks the gospel. Is it in a hostile environment? Yes. Watch this. He walks into the temple, which is supposed to be God's place of dwelling among the people. It's been hijacked by these scorners. They sit in Moses' seat. They lead people right into hell with their phony religion. And Jesus walks right into his father's house, hijacked, and he addresses the Pharisees directly, and he gives the gospel, knowing some in their ranks would defect and follow him. Look at John 7, look at 28. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. Listen, I am of the Father, you have no idea who I am because you're not of His, and so you don't know me. If I could, uh, uh, if I could uh, repeat 27 and 28 or uh, explain that 29, but I know Him, I know the Father, for I am from Him and He hath sent me. And I just have to slip this in here. If you're looking for proof, of a, of a, of a complex God, a three in one God. We get two of the three characters of the Trinity right here in these verses. Jesus makes a clear distinction between himself and the Father. Alright. Look at, um, uh, verse number, uh, t- uh, 30. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. Look at 31. And many of the people believed on him. Would you underline that? And many of the people believed on him. Here Jesus 
is in a hostile environment with scorners, yet he still engages them with the truth. And there were those amongst the scorners that defected and left and believed on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had the courage to speak the truth in the face of hostility. Many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? That's a question to say, how can a man do more miracles than this man hath done? Surely he is the Christ. Let me show you another example. Let's turn over to John 8, verse 27. John chapter 8, and look at verse 27. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man. You know what he's saying here? When you all put me on the cross, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am. And you see the word he there is in italics. That was added by the English translators for context. But those words I am are the Greek words ego of me, which is a translation of um, the I am of the Old Testament. This is Jesus declaring to be Jehovah God of the Old Testament. He's coming right at him with truth. He's punching these scorners in the mouth with truth. Know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And he spake these words. Look here again. Many believed on him. Now let me just ask real quick. Who was Jesus addressing? Look back up in verse number 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man. He's speaking to the religious leaders who were scorners, who were going to corporately nail Him to the cross. And the Bible tells us in verse number 30 that many believed on Him. Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on Him. And by the way, when you see that word Jews, oftentimes that is referring to the religious leaders, the Jews. Jewish religious leaders. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my in my word, then are, are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus told them what they would do to him. But then declared, Once you have killed me, and you realize who I am, what I have done, I want you to turn from your sin of unbelief and find salvation through faith. Some Jews did not wait. 30 and 31 tells us that immediately they believed on him. Look back at verse 32 one more time. Read it with me. Ready? And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, I want to drive this point home, and I'm going to shut the message down here in just a moment. Whether you are engaging a, engaging a broken sinner, a seeking scholar, or a rude scorner, the solution is always the same. You listening? Truth sets people free. Truth sets people free. You're faced with hostility of a scorner. Truth sets people free. Hey, give them the truth. Give them the truth. You know, it, it, it is really an amazing Bible study to watch, but there were those who broke from Jewish ranks and joined Jesus all the way from the beginning of his ministry 
all the way down until right before he got crucified. They, they left the, they left the hierarchy of the pharisaical ranks and they joined Jesus little at a time. In fact, the, the straw that broke the camel's back that pushed the Pharisees into having Jesus arrested and murdered was that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, John chapter number uh, uh, 10, I believe it is, John 10, John 11, he raised uh, uh, Lazarus from the dead, they, the Bible says that many of the Jews believed on him. They looked and said, this guy can raise people from the dead. We're going to follow him. And the Jews looked, the Pharisaical uh, order looked and said, we got to do something about this guy. He's shutting us down. He's limiting our, um, uh, our influence. He's stealing the hearts of the people. We must have him murdered. You know why Jesus was able to win scorners to himself? Because he was truth. He lived truth. And he spoke truth everywhere he goed, everywhere he went. And as a result, people believed. Pastor Lejeune, make this practical for me in my day-to-day life. I've got a neighbor, I've got a relative, I've got a co-worker that just gives me a hard time. What do I do? Here's what I want to tell you this evening, and we'll be done, all right? Here's what I want to tell you. Live out the truth and speak the truth and never, ever compromise the truth. Don't do it. You live the truth, you speak the truth, and you uh, you declare the truth, and people will be one to you. I'll finish with this story. In Bible college, I had a job uh, driving a forklift on a truck dock, and uh, tractor trailers get backed into dock doors, and it's a warehouse-type job, and you, you pull freight off one truck and run it over uh, to another truck. And, um, you know, there were four, five, six Bible college students that worked there and then we had probably 10, 12 um, Chicago locals that worked there, and so you've got squeaky clean Bible college guys. And then you've got f- people who just are living in deep sin in the world, and we're all sort of mixed in this together. And there was a guy there. There were a handful of guys there that just loved to mock us and make fun of us. I'm going to tell you about a couple of them here uh, quickly. Uh, one boy named Steve. Steve at the time was 19 years old, and uh, Steve uh, lived a fornicating lifestyle and would just go around telling everybody, you know, about what he had done the weekend before, whether you wanted to hear it or not, and just lewd terms. And he would mock us and make fun of us. Uh, I remember him asking, "Do you all have co-ed dorms at your Bible college?" And we told him that we did not have. We're a Bible college. We do not have co-ed dorms. And he just mocked and made fun and belittled and 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 just uh, he was a scorner, just being a scorner and. Another uh, young man named Nick. Nick worked there, and uh, Nick loved to use uh, the most vile curse word in the English language, and would throw it around just to get on our nerves. And I remember one day we're sitting in a circle on our uh, forklifts. We'd done all the work there was to do. We're waiting on some more trucks to come in, and, and supervisors had just said, "You guys take it easy until we get some more work." So we're sitting in a circle on our forklifts, and Bible college guys were talking together. And Nick comes riding up on his forklift, and every other word is this filthy curse word. And finally, after about two or three minutes of it, I looked at Nick and I said, hey, Nick, I said, uh, I don't know why you keep using that word. No one in this group wants to hear that word and we're not impressed with your language. Well, boy, that just set him off. He he began to, well, I don't bleep and curse because I bleep and am trying to impress bleep and anybody bleep, 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 bleep. And then he wrote off all upset. And 
Uh, we worked with a couple of other people who just would tell dirty jokes and scorn and scorn and scorn. I worked with these people for four years, and I can remember just doing my best, along with my, my college uh, classmates, to be an example of hardworking, godly men who spoke the truth and lived the truth. And uh, I can remember one at a time, one at a time, I remember Steve had a break with me, and it was just me and Steve on break together about two years after working with Steve and being patient with him and, and enduring his scorning ways and sitting with Nick in the break room and taking my Bible and going through the gospel with him. Nick did not pray to get saved. I don't know, or rather, uh, Steve did not pray to get saved. I don't know that Steve ever did get saved. Maybe he did. But I know this, he was going through a hard time in his life. And he had scorned me and my uh, friends for two years but because we endured and we were patient and we took it on the chin and we kept doing what was right, I was able to give him the entire gospel that day. I remember um, Nick, one day I'm walking to my car out in the parking lot, walking away from the warehouse, and it's 11.30 at night, walking to my car, I'm weary, I'm tired, and Nick comes out the door and he says, hey Richard, hang on a minute, I, I want to talk with you. And um, I had driven myself to work that day. Normally we carpooled, but that particular day, I guess the Lord knew, I, I drove myself to work, and so I had no one going home with me. Nick said, hey, can I speak with you for a few minutes? And Nick got in my car. This is several months after the incident on the forklifts. And he began to tell me about a hardship going on in his life. And I listened to him, and I prayed with him, and I gave him the gospel. Again, Nick did not pray to get saved, but Nick listened to what I had to say, his heart was tender and it was open. Here's what I want to say to you tonight. When you're put, when you're put in a situation where people want to scorn, you need to speak the truth and live the truth. Don't expect instantaneous results. You have a broken sinner like the lady in John 4 come up. Boy, they're ready to get saved. They're, the, the, the fields are wide in the harvest. But sometimes you have scorners and they need you to live right and be right and do right and speak the truth. And over many, many, many years, God can use that influence to help guide them toward the truth. Are we going to win every scorner? No, we're not. But we need to engage them with right living and we need to engage them with the right message. And over the years, let's watch God use that truth to set them free. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this uh, evening. And ye shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth shall make you free. We need to be Christians who are not pharisaical or hypocritical ourselves. At the workplace, we ought to have the highest ethic. We have, ought to have the highest work ethic, the highest work values. We ought to be there uh, uh, 15 minutes before work starts, and we ought to be willing to stay past the clock, and uh, we ought to be uh, the ones who never are putting down the boss or the supervisor. Boy, we're at the family reunion. We don't need to get drug into uh, talking a, a negative or gossiping about other family members. We need to be those who are living above the fray and doing what's right and speaking truth and living truth. And over the years, God will give you the capacity to see a scorner or two come to the light and come to the truth. I wonder how many of you here tonight would say, Pastor Lejeune, pray for me. I have a scorner somewhere in my life. Pray that God would give me the wisdom to live truth and speak truth in the face of this hostility. Would you pray for me? If there's someone like that here tonight, would you raise your hand? Boy, I see a handful of folks around the room that just need those prayers. I'm going to pray for you. 
I'm going to ask God to help you to have the courage and the wisdom to know when to speak up and what to say. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, thank you so much for the Bible and the truth of your word. Thank you for the example you set. Help us to be men and women who speak the truth. And Lord, uh, do it in love, as Ephesians 4 declares we are, uh, to speak the truth in love. God, help us and guide us. Help us to be a witness to, to those who are ready to receive and those who are cold toward the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.